firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Hello and welcome to the Truth to Power show. This is Scotty T. Scott Raven coming at you from Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, I'm on the mics, joined by by VJ uh, R. Nathan to the left. Just as we're getting here set up for our nice little live broadcast here today. Okay, so uh, let's get our mic. Let's get our headphones up. The headphones on the right, yeah, or on the little higher, a little higher. The red ones, yeah, those ones. Get the on the right, on the right, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Good, good. So this is the Truth to Power show, and um, you know it's been a snowy day, so we got a little delay coming in, but uh, we're good to go now. Good, good. Um, yeah, we're here with Jorge Cabrales. Hi, Jorge. Hey, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's still morning, right? Yeah. Yeah. Still morning. I think so. so. One more hour left, and then we go into the uh, the noon. Yeah. Good. Good. So, Jorge, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, first of all, before I forget, thanks for having me. Is that cool? Yeah. Oh, it's the first time I'm doing this. Yeah. All right. Yeah, the microphone is a little bit. Uh, is that okay? Yeah, it should be okay. Just I hear you loud and clear nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can feel free to get up nice and close if you need. Yeah. Yeah, right there. Yeah, right yeah. There. Put it up to the mouth. We'll, yeah, it we'll, seems like it's we'll less sagging it. down. Yeah. No, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Leave it like that. Yeah, leave it like that. Yeah. All right, good, good. Yeah. All right. Put it up so you don't have to hunch over. It's, uh, it's, um, Goosh. <laughs> yeah, it's sagging down. Somebody's weighing it down. Slouch, slouching, you know, yeah, it does interrupt the diaphragm a bit. But, yeah, yeah. Um, so Jorge's, uh, Jorge and I met through the Christine Mann Library, you know, meet up with uh, Jungian psychology or depth psychology. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of different terms with the Jungian uh, world, you know, analytical psychology, depth psychology, and Jungian psychology. Can you just help us navigate a little bit of those different terminologies and do they have different meanings or I know analytical psychology is response to psychoanalysis, but then depth psychology slowly evolved out of that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Navigate a little bit of those terms. Yeah. That's, that's a question. I think a lot of, you know, people kind of frequently ask kind of, uh, it's kind of hard to, but I guess the simplest response, is that okay? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Is that Kuska? That's good for me. (laughs) Oh, slouch. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, I I guess, you know, they all work on the simple, you know, you need to entertain the proposition that there's an unconscious. You know, it doesn't matter how you describe it, you know. Um, I personally like that depth psychology. I think it sounds pretty cool, right? Right, right. Depth. (laughs) You know, but uh, basically it's... um, it's, if, If you entertain the proposition that there's an unconscious and we can unpack that if you want... Um, you know, versus consciousness of this tension, this relationship, um, then, um, you know, I invite you to explore. Well, it doesn't matter how you label it, you know. Mm. Um, I guess, like I said earlier, I prefer depth uh, psychology. But when you use terms like analytical psychology, then the implication is you're particularly 
following a whole set of assumptions that Carl Jung laid out. Mm. You know, so depth psychologist like the broader term, mm. I would say. Um, but some people in certain circles will say depth psychology in reference to Carl Jung. But mm. the the specific depth psychology of Carl Jung was analytical psychology to differentiate himself from um, um, psychoanalysis. Yeah, yeah. historically. Yeah, because Freudian psychology, Freud came up with psychoanalysis and kind of pioneered the idea that talk therapy, the talking cure. Yeah. And then he kind of responded with analytical psychology, kind of bringing into realm the realm, the numinous or the spiritual or the kind of uh, deeper aspects of the psyche, the collective unconscious. Yeah. Um, that's my understanding. And then depth psychology was a more broad term that includes him, but includes other thinkers who also believe in the unconscious and and spiritual uh, elements, would you say? Yeah, yeah. He he certainly was a significant figure historically. I mean, there were others that preceded him as well. Um, but Jung's um, approach to unconsciousness was purely personal. Mm. It, it, it wasn't collective. You know, um, I, he may have changed his mind before he died. You know, when he went to London. Um, but um, and you know, people argue that. But um, it's definitely was called Jung's work that he should, that kind of made. He, he brought in the scope of consciousness and he added the. Um, the impersonal, the collective, you know, yeah. what later on it's known as the archetypal realm. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. We, it, Freud was really, I hate to use this term, but he was a bit myopic. You know, mm. he, he, you know, at, at least I hope that doesn't sound too judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of people now have been kind of like, I understand, uh, you know, kind of a lot of people in the, in the field have been kind of working against some of the premises that Freud uh, postulated. You know, we're trying to, you know, I, I feel like many people are trying to get into more spiritual realms. At least I'm, I'm in a program, at least in a clinical psychology program, clinical mental counseling program at Naropa University, which is very much a spiritual cool. aligned university. So all the students there are like, oh, we want to explore, you know, sacred sexuality or like, you know, the sacred or things like that. And, and things in the unconscious that uh, things in our in our lives that are very much in the, in the realm of um you know, the sacred and, and spiritual. Yeah. So of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful word, spiritual, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, a w- word that, that I was related to it is to be inspired, you know what I mean? To, to be able to breathe, you know, um, there's an, and there's, um, for me, there's an existential element, you know, it's, it's very earthly, you know, you breathe, ah, you're alive, you know, it's not something metaphysical. It's not over there. It's, 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 I mean, it can have a relation with the metaphysical, um, I mean, at least I think some folks, when they hear the word spiritual, they think to hit something, you know, of the other world. But the spiritual is very existential. You know, you need to live it. You know, um, there's something inexplicable about it. Yeah. But it, 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 it's, 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 it's in your body. You know, it's, it's in the here and now. Um, that word, I think spiritual kind of entails all that, it seems to me. Yeah. You know, and I, it definitely, I think, Carl Jung's um, work is very spiritual. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting when I when in the pre-interview questions we were talking a little bit about uh, we gave some questions to the guests uh, before coming onto the show to get to know them a little bit more a little more in depth than what they want to talk about. So I was talking about and one of the questions is about what are you passionate about and what can you uh, speak on for hours and it was interesting since your response was. That there's nothing you're passionate about. Yeah, which yeah. oh, is the word passionate. But I think you questioned the word passionate maybe, or you have questions yeah. about. Yeah. What that means, like you know, and I think it's interesting to explore the word passionate yeah, and yeah. passions. Maybe that carries too much emotional, 
like, you know, getting emotional perhaps for you? I don't know. Not for me, but, well, I guess so. I, I guess I still got to work that out with my own therapist, right? <laughs> uh, but, yeah, but, you know, my sister used to say shit like, um, oh, sorry. Could I say yeah, that? it's okay. Um, right. She used right. to say things like, you know, George, people are going to love you or hate you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, she's kind of right. Um, and um, one of the reasons, because, you know, I, I always feel ambivalent about a lot of stuff, you know, particularly terms. Um, and the word passion I've always felt I'm building about because I really like getting back to existential. I just, I don't know, man. I just never felt it. <laughs> you know, um, I, don't, I don't know what it means to be passionate, but, but I, 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 I pretty much have an idea what it means to be inspired. Mm. You know, I mean, I guess you could use them interchangeably. So, you know, what are you most passionate about? I don't know, man. I'm still waiting for it, you know, um, yeah. but I do get excited about certain moments. You know, there's a discontinuity with me. You know, I get excited. You know, maybe I feel passionate, but then it disappears, man. I could get passionate over a nice bustelo, you know. Um, you know, I, I could get passionate over a nice smell, you know, odor. I could get, I definitely get passionate about ideas, you know. Um, but um, there's a discontinuity. It's, it's always been difficult to maintain a continuity, you know. Right. Like, hence, I'm not disciplined. <laughs> so there's no like umbrella for your passion. It's yeah. kind of an idea. It's 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 not one specific thing. And so yeah. what leads you down even a path of curiosity from one thing to the next? Is it? Yeah. It, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, but so for you, is it just you know you're reading things and that draws reading you from things the next excites thing? me. I mean, I could get stuck in a paragraph right for a while, and that excites me. So if if you call that being passionate, yeah, I get passionate about shit. But, um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's an obsession instead of passion. So anyway, I guess the point is, I don't know if I've gotten passionate about anything, you know. But um, I do like depth psychology. And there are little other areas in my life that I like as well. Um, I mean, yes, I don't know if I ever told you, Rijay, but um, um, I'm involved in the wrestling community. Nice. You know, of high school, you know, folk style wrestling specific, you know. Getting to folks um, in freestyle as well. That's the Olympic version. But the American version is known as folk. Um, and I was at a tournament yesterday. Um. And I, I, I mean, I, I, one can, you know, I, I officiate this. So one can argue that um, I was pretty passionate all day long, you know, because, you know, you're around same-minded folks. It's, you know, it's quite a vulgar activity, you know, from some perspectives, you know, but it's something that animates me. I guess passion does that, right? When you're passionate about something, you're, you're animated. Right. You know, again, you came back to the word spiritus, you know, you feel um, that you could breathe, you know, the muses are... In close proximity. Right? Yeah. I pulled up a definition, uh, showing or oh, causing, oh. caused oh. by strong feeling or strong belief. And I think that's, that is a little problematic when you think about strong feeling or strong belief. Like strong belief in something you want to, you want to, you know, maybe perhaps the thesis is that you want to allow things to happen and be more observant of the surroundings without having strong belief or ideology, like interrupt your ability to see, you know? Like in other words, like strong belief perhaps is, is uh, a little problematic there, right? Wow, that's nice. I like how you said that. Yeah. Um, you just, I think you said something you're able to see. Yeah. In other words, like the, the definition is showing or caused by strong feeling or belief as an adjective, um, passionate, passionate uh, showing or caused intense feelings. So um, when, when you have strong beliefs, sometimes it blinds you to the reality of what's ah, around you, you know? Okay, okay. You're not able to see, like you're just seeing through filtered lenses, you know, what you're, yeah. what's around you rather than seeing what's actually there. Yeah. It just when I heard you say that clause, um, it just occurred to me that there's an idea in depth psychology. I mean, this is an idea, and the same idea exists elsewhere as well. But particularly in depth psychology, um, 
and a lot of young followers um, place emphasis on, on on this idea the idea of discernment mm. you know the, 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 you know to engage in experiences with clarity you know i think most of us don't engage in, with clarity most of us you know we engage with how we're conditioned you know if, if that makes any sense um so I, I think the unconscious allows you to um it gives consciousness uh, uh, the 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 possibility to engage with experiences with clarity. I hope that makes some sort of sense. And then yeah. you use the word sight. Yeah. And, and, and that idea occurred to me that um that's connected with um depth psychology. It allows one to with inspiration, you know, engage with clarity. I mean, you're talking about taking your girlfriend, you know. From your neighborhood to, to her neighborhood, right? Right, right. You know, you probably will like, you know, populate with different feelings, right? But sure. imagine engaging that experience with pure clarity. That's good for both of you, isn't it? Yeah. Instead yeah. of thinking ahead or thinking in the past. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Instead of feeling rushed and like, I gotta get here, I gotta get there. You just engaging in everyday activity. Yeah. As as you need to, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like now I'm trying to engage with clarity. Yeah. But uh I'm thinking about the past and the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, some random thoughts there. Because cause I mean, I'm going back to passion. I'm, I'm thinking passion kind of charges the heart, whereas a ideas is, is more of a charging of the mind. Yeah. Um, and kind of figuring out, the, parsing those two, I don't know if there's, within depth, is there a co- combination of kind of the heart and the mind coming together? Yeah, man. Where, where, it's, where it's coming. And then this idea of clarity as well. I tend to think in dreams a lot too and yeah. think in, in art and how do how do we maintain clarity if we're drawing from um I guess outside non reality based yeah, um, yeah. imagery. I, I like how you, you kind of place emphasis on this relation between, you know, heart heart and mind. Mm-hmm. You know, um and again depth psychology talks about integration. You know, look about the individualization process, how you how one more, more how does each of us idiosyncratically move towards um, integrity, you know, the sense of wholeness? And that's one way to connect the heart and mind, whatever that means to each, each person. Because you generalize it, you kind of miss the point, you know, you commit sin. Um, but, you know, but if you engage, ex- again, getting back to the word existential, you know, it, it's always a subjective experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't dismiss the interpersonal. Um, and, and this kind of leads to some of your other questions, you know. Um, but um, it, you got to do it on your own. And one of the things you got to do on your own is relationship. Uh, you know, h- how do you marry your heart, whatever that connotes, and and, and how do you, you know, with the mind? Uh, not with the mind. I, I guess, I mean, it's, the mind is another broad term, right? Yeah. But sure. when, when I say the mind, I, I, I'm I, I'm localizing like in this area, you know, right. with like you said, ideas. So how how do you marry ideas with emotions? I don't know, man. You got to figure it out, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You got to carry your own cross, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's an experience, not necessarily talked about. It's something you just kind of like, a, like without words, you're kind of experiencing and allowing the flow to happen. Yeah. 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 And Young talks about uh, most of us don't do that. Mm. Most of us, uh, I mean, again, you agree or disagree with the dude, uh, but I, I kind of agree with him. Most of us either have an intimate relationship with ideas or we're intimate with our emotions. And, and to separate, you know, uh, to not articulate them, uh, he calls that one-sidedness, you know, and that therefore you live a life that lacks integrity, you know, uh, and subsequently and consequently, um, you're neurotic, man, <laughs> like I am. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's sacred, right? That, that coming together, that articulation between ideas and emotions, that's sacred, man. That, that's spiritus, 
you know, yeah. that allows you to breathe and perhaps be in a position to discern. So speaking of discernment, like our next uh, topic tends to be truth. Yeah. You know, and oh. how we discern truth, like <laughs> what is truth and understanding. Like, you know, a lot of times we think about, um, you know, again, I, I keep reiterating on the show that the idea of truth to power usually means speaking truth to power, speaking truth to people in power. But I like to bring it down to the fundamentals of what is truth and and how can that how can that like inform our speaking truth to power? Like first we have to understand, you know, as as communities, as individuals, what is true, and then we have to understand how that can empower ourselves and to speak up, you know, to speak up in regards to um our defending defending people who aren't who can't speak for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I like that last part. Yeah. You know, um and I mean, I'm not sure about defending, but um, um, speaking for them. Maybe, I, I, is, well, uh, it's the golden uh, rule, right? Like you know, what I mean, you know, how do you, how, how do you relate to all this? Mm. You know, uh, and, and and one of the things that that, that 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 implies is like, like if somebody falls down, I mean, do you help them get up? Mm. I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, if you help them get up, then you know, um. You generate entitlement. You generate a lot of shit there, you know. Mm. But if you let them get up on their own, then then that's empowerment, mm. you know. Um, you know what's the expression? Give them the fish or teach them how to catch fish. Yeah, along those lines, um, or you know whatever the other circumstances are. You know, if someone pushes them to the floor, do you help them get up or do you defend them against the other person? I, I don't mm. know. Yeah. Um, but um, the idea of truth, I have no idea how to respond to that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, you know, but I, I was thinking about it, you know, when I was reading your question. Um, and I guess, you know, thank you for that. You know, yeah. that's animating just to think about it, you know, just, I, I'm not really conclusive about it, you know, I don't think I ever will be. But, um, I mean, I think truth ultimately is something, I don't know, it's, it's, um, and it's ineffable, right? You know, you just can't describe it, but you, you, you know, it when you, when you encounter it, I think, um, are you guys with me? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it, I guess it comes close to essence, you know. Um, so um, I used the word earlier on. It's it's idiosyncratic. I, I think truth, to, to generalize it, to make it some sort of collective um, experience is problematic. You could go that way. But I think ultimately truth is something um, we know um, resonates. You know, we, we just know it, right? Um, we can't prove it. Um, and then I, I think it's, it's, it's the imperative for each of us to... Um, to realize that truth, whatever it's true to you, man. If it's to to to, to support your mom, that's truth, man. You know, because she because she's sick or because your culture tells you to do so. Um, if it's to have children, you know, whatever it may be, man. You El Dorado, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, whatever truth to you, um, okay, realize it. But then when you realize it, um, make sure it's it's it, it's somehow has um. I think the realizing truth is good for the subject, right? Then ultimately, is how does that truth also serve others? Mm. It seems to me that's human, you know. Um, you know, um, you know the, Re- the Renaissance placed focus on the individual, but I think um, hist- historians have have, have 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 misread that. It's it's the individual, but at a at an impersonal. It's the individual who's not purely personal. It's the individual that recognizes that he she is something. It's part of a large tapestry. So for me, that's that's part of the, the other question. You use the word, you know, personal is political. Uh, yeah. For me, the personal implies the individual, and the individual implies having a relationship with others. 
Mm-hmm. Now, how can you be an individual without other? So truth to power is how do you, how, how do you give um, expression to your essence and how does that essence serve others? That's power. You know, power is, is the ability to generate, right? To generate, th- to get things done, you know, not to oppress others. You know, it's to get things done. And, and for me, that's to serve others. Uh, does my rant make any sense? Yeah. 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 I, I was taking, like, there's truth in, in action. Yeah, uh, there you go. More so. Um, but you, you mentioned earlier of, of ambivalence. And some, sometimes, you yeah. know, we become paralyzed by the infinite possibilities in any given moment. Do I, do I go this way? Do I go that way? You know, what guides us to that right path in any given moment or is it a benefit to explore all of those in any given circumstance i i go through that so many times just like oh, okay which 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 way and you know you. i try to i try to you know to to eliminate that you know set set the clothes you're going to wear obviously the day before or do things that you know so those micro decisions you don't have to deal with but um yeah yeah truth truth i guess in in action but then there becomes what is the the right action, you know, like like yeah, which is the the moral action or which is the yeah, yeah. yeah that, that that's an idea young explore a lot, you know, the moral action. Um, again, back to to what you said about um, how ambivalence can paralyze you. Mm. Yeah, I, I feel that a lot, and but I think most of us do, but the, we somehow deny that. I think or we're taught to um, kind of repress it. Mm. I, I think what's liberating is to recognize it that, that there's ambivalence. Um, I mean, I could be at the bar, you know, having a drink with you guys, feeling pretty groovy, you know, mm-hmm. and this beautiful woman comes in and we both, you know, express our lust, you know, and then she comes up to me, you know, and says, George, man, what's up? <laughs> you know, and you guys are going, oh, man, you know, um, well, there's truth there, right? right? I want her. Yeah. But, you know, am I going to exercise my loyalty with my wife? Mm-hmm. You follow what I'm saying? Now, what's the right decision there? Yeah. I'll leave that up to you to decide that, man. Yeah. But that's going to be character. You know, so how I express my choice in that moment, that's that's power. Yeah. You know, that's truth to power. So I'm not telling you what's the right thing to do. There's so many moving parts, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that, but that, there is a decision to be made. Yeah. And you need to of, exercise with discernment. Right, right. You know? Yeah, it kind of connects with what you were saying about helping others to make their decisions, like falling down rather, and helping them up. It's like, you know, a lot of times we, we give up our power by, by asking others, how should I handle things? And, you know, rather than, rather than making decisions and, and relying on our character to guide us, relying on the internal, internal knowing yeah, to guide us yeah. and, and being able to rely upon the previous selves who have made commitments and the future selves who are fulfilling those commitments. I don't know. It's a bitch, yeah. man, to make those decisions, you yeah. know. And life is populated with those kind of decisions. I don't know how I came up with that one, but um, yeah, <laughs> you know, because I mean? right. well, most likely I won't be in that situation. But yeah. if I was, you know, there is no right answer, right? What's yeah. the what's the idea? Paradox, you know. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. I want to be a nice guy, but I also want this. You know, so where the road less travel? I don't know. Yeah. So now. Um, no, thinking about your personal journey, yeah, uh, and like where you've been going from and where you're coming from. Tell us a little bit more about your journey, and then we can tie in. You talked about like a childhood experience in your answers, so we can we can tie that in as we go along. But um, about moving from Eclid Avenue, you say you say when you were twelve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The so watershed, the watershed moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
let's go. Into, and you could just speak generally about, you know, your experiences growing up, where you grow up, and yeah, yeah, and all this kind all right. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess I get, yeah, definitely get to Euclid Avenue. Um, that's really symbolically, symbolically, that's an important episode of my life. Um, um, well, my, you know, I'm Colombian. You know, I was born in Barranquilla. Uh, came to this country when I was two. You know, um, my my dad came first. You know, basic immigrant story. You know, uh, it's a funny story. Um, you know, back then, you know, they, they, there was no cell phones. We're talking about 1964, you know. Uh, and um, somehow my my father never got the message that my mom was coming. My mom, my mom basically showed up at JFK with five kids, you know, in arms. And she couldn't communicate with her husband, my dad. So um, his younger brother, somehow, my father just got a play because she knew he, he, we were coming in a place in Brooklyn, Atlantic Avenue in Brownsville. Uh, that's where we grew up. Uh, so uh, Teotonio, you know, picked us up. And anyway, he we, we all surprised my dad. He almost fell out the window. <laughs> so what are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we made it. Um, so basically, um, I grew up in Brooklyn, you know, uh, Brownsville, East New York. Uh, you know, lived over the five boroughs. We, we were talking about it. You know, you grew up in Staten Island, right? Um, Jersey. 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 All right. Man. Close enough, man. Yeah, close enough. Right? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, where in Jersey? Uh, Central Jersey for me. Uh, Edison. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lived in many of the boroughs already. Uh, for you know, been in New York for fifteen. I used to take a lot of car rides with my eldest brother, and then uh, on the turnpike you just see Edison. Oh yeah. And I, I went to uh, Edison High School. Yeah. <laughs> but you did you? Well, you, you know, you, in in Jamaica Queens, it, it, there was an Edison High School. Yeah, it was, oh, nice. I was Edison. So I used to see Edison High. Oh. You know, well, even now, you're always narcissistic, no, no, no. I, right? That's why That's why you're obsessed with ideas, too. Just because <laughs> yeah. of the light bulb. Ah, check it out. That's it. That's cool. Um, okay, so you're in you're in. Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot where I was. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so we lived in Atlantic Avenue for a long time. You know, I, we went to parochial school, Ali Loretto, and then Blessed Sacrament. Um, but when we moved, um, um, we moved to Euclid Avenue. Yeah. You know, Cypress Hills. Uh, borderline Cypress Hills East New York um, and it really changed a lot you know one of the things I think I, I wrote down there is that um, you know I went to Catholic school but uh, apparently in Catholic school um, they didn't accept you till September I didn't know this till later on you know so uh, uh, we moved in February so my sister and I and my younger brother we had to go to public school for a term you know in Catholic school you know you walk on the right hand side you know there were 20 you know 15 20 students in the class at least um, back then, um, and I when the, I ended up going to uh, IS one seventy one, and it just blew me away, man. And, you know, no one was walking on the right hand side. You know, <laughs> kids were literally jumping. It was just blew me away, and I, I, people playing. Hand, you know, I was introduced to handball. I, I I was just overwhelmed, but it excited me. You know, yeah. uh, one of the things that excited me. You know, I I, I got into um just different type of music as well, um, and subsequently, you know. I guess you call those those watershed moments, um, but um, uh, I just lost my thought. So you uh, were in so you were in public school for yeah. for 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 the for um, middle school the second and, and semester. And then that um, the following September we were accepted into Blessed Sacrament. So I finished my two, last two years there. Um, but that was a big change. Um, right. I, I you know I, I you, you kind of grew up with routines and then. Moved to Euclid and you went to public school and I, I, I discovered the bike and I, you know I, I got into this crew you know you, you could go to different neighborhoods 
You know, I just grew up on Atlantic Avenue by Rockaway Avenue. You walk around the corner to Dean Street. That's about it. You go to the bakery store. Nothing wrong with that. It's you know, quite provincial, isn't it? You know, and then you go to this new neighborhood. Now you're allowed to explore other neighborhoods. And it just excited me, you know. And I went from like a top student to like I flunked, you know. It just went crazy. But then I went back to Catholic school. But I think um, that taught me um, there's something outside my world. I didn't know that, but I, you know, I experienced it. So those are watershed moments. I also want to just mention, I don't know why, but I want to plug in Miss King. <laughs> Miss King was my history teacher, mm-hmm. uh, but she was an amazing one. She was this huge black woman, man, you know, and I was scared of her, but somehow we became friends, you know, yeah. and she introduced me to mythology. Um, and that I think was probably my introduction to her on, on the road to depth psychology. You know, if, if you want to get turned on to depth psychology, uh, read your myths and then recognize um, the connotation, you know, mm. you know that, that's just powerful stuff. There's poetry there that, that can liberate one. Yeah. Um, and so, you end up studying uh, history as a master's level, right? In, no, um, counseling level? at a master's oh, level. Master's level. But my undergraduate, I, I was in a, uh, I started as an engineer. I didn't like it. I was going to drop out. My old, my older sister told me to stay in college. And so, um, you know, you, you kind of, whatever, you know, you get lost. Yeah. Um, and that I fell into psychology. Yeah. Um, I think everyone else does something along those lines. Yeah. But then I, I, you know, I, I started traveling with this, with, I, I met these people in the cafeteria and, um, they told me about this BAMA program. Mm. And I guess I was accepted because I was Latino. I wasn't definitely smart enough. So they had to fill a quota. <laughs> you know, it was an MABA program. So I, um, I, I got a master's in psychology, but uh, my undergraduate, my minor was history. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, you're supposed to have 128 credits. Mm-hmm. I ended up graduating with like 160 something. Yeah. <laughs> Took a lot of electives, yeah. you know, if that makes. But it was a good thing because uh, I think it made me. I mean, you, I genuinely. I think it's, I went to CCNY. I genuinely graduated with what what, what I perceive to be a liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that that's lacking nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays, it seems like uh, people are, are kind of encouraged to be more specialized earlier on because in high school level they have like. You know, automotive high school, which is like a specifically, they have a lot of shop classes or they have a lot of spe- special, like special high schools are these charter schools are, are more specialized into fields of study rather than just getting abroad. Even in high school, they're trying to get them more specialized. Yeah. To interest them, I guess, interest the students. By yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know what's the best form of social coordination. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could figure that out, talk about it. But I think the one we have is not the best. Yeah. You know, uh, well, it's, there's something wrong with it. There's too much violence going on. Mm. And, you know, the golden rule is not practice. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about this, this relationship between ideas and heart, right? Um, I think our society, sometimes the way it's structured is to separate ideas from heart. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if that's good. I, 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 I don't, I, I definitely will say that it's not healthy or it hasn't been healthy. You know, it still isn't, you know, um, we got to learn how to marry. So in terms of, you know, being experts or being specialists, I think it may work under certain circumstances, but you got to be a Renaissance man at one point. Um, and um, I think if society doesn't do it, then you better do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Or, or when I say you, I'm talking about if you have children, you got to accept, you got to accept that responsibility. Yeah. You know, if you displace it onto others, <laughs> then you deserve what you get, man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm all about 
well-roundedness as a means of just accessibility as well, just being able to to, to relate to the to a wider realm of people, a wider group. Um, you mentioned mythology. I just was curious if there was any one in particular that that resonated with you and that has stuck with you, um, even archetypically. You know, uh, a myth that you remember reading that was. Yeah. Um, well, I do want to say that um, when it comes to mythology, I, I think the one I'm reading at the moment would be, it's probably my favorite. It's always, yeah. you know, what's and right now sure. I'm reading stuff by um, John Sanford. And he's a youngian from the from the West Coast. Um, I don't know if he's still alive. Um, uh, Episcopal bishop. Um, and um, who did he train under? That woman from Chicago. Anyway, um, um, he's like a second generational youngian, if you want to say. Um, and, um, he wrote a book on the gospel of St. John's, you know, you know, and, and I look at, you know, when I say mythology, I include, you know, holy scriptures mm. that that's mythological stuff. You know, if you, if you look at scripture, I think mythologically, um, I think you, you will be rewarded. And again, when I say you, I'm not talking about the individual, I'm talking about society. Mm. Um, so mythology is not just Homer, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. but, um, for a long time, I would say the Iliad. You know, I mean, it was again getting back to um, uh, Mrs. King, my history teacher. I mean, that's where we started. She, she got me into Homer. You know, she she, she helped me see the connection um, um, between you know the humanities basically. Um, but um, you know, I, I she 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 ignited you know that that hunger. Uh, but um, I would say anything by Homer, particularly the hymns. Uh, it, it, you know they're, they're short enough for me to I, I like essays I, I got a problem with reading long novels you know <laughs> yeah, I, my mind is not that you know that discipline so I like yeah. short stuff um, so um, um, the Homeric hymns were short enough for me you know the Iliad was, the epics were problematic right. but if you take them from pieces you know you, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you have a facilitator like uh, Mrs. King <laughs> she made it a lot easier so to respond to your question um I like all myths, but I uh, I would say the Iliad left an impact. You know, I think it has done that with, with many folks, um, and just just the Homeric stuff in general. You know. Yeah, I grew up a lot with um, Hindu mythology, so that was nice. There that you was go. good. That was really good. Um, you know, kind of cultural thing to, to accept. Um, you know, they had the March of the Kathas. I don't know if people know. It's a comic book. That they had like the Hindu mythologies put into comic book form, so that was a great way to access. What is that called? Uh, Amarchitakatha is a comic book. Okay, so it's like they had the comic books which are published by this company. I don't know if they're still around, but um, they're a way to access mythology through the like the the comic book field, so graphic novel kind of a thing. Nice, yeah. It's a short, short, condensed version of it too. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Feel. You have a quick, uh, right. quick comic. That you can read, and then you learn a little bit about you know, the repeating characters. That's cool. Come up, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You said something to me downstairs. We were hanging out. Uh, Wait for you, Scott, man. <laughs> yeah. uh, you told me you went to Catholic school, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to That's got to be years, cool, yeah. man. You yeah. know, um, Hindu background. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, whatever was... that entails, because that's like, that's like saying Christian, right? It's like a broad <laughs> statement. And then you went to Catholic school, man. Yeah, my parents, my mom actually went to Catholic University. Growing up, that's why she's in oh. Bombay, in Mumbai. Okay, okay. Uh, so she kind of felt trustworthy with Catholic education. So she sent me to Catholic school, first through eighth grade. And it was interesting to kind of take in Jesus' story and Christ's story in, in the context of what I was learning from 
my parents are from the Vedantic traditions or, you know, from the Hindu tradition. So, you know, I have a different take on it. And then, you know, when, and then, uh, when I went into, um, college, um, I remember I watched last temptation of Christ was yeah. the Gnostic interpretation of, uh, of Jesus life. And that was like a major threshold for me to be able to see, uh, the connection between the various, that's know, what Willem Dafoe. That's Willem the Dafoe. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And then we had yeah. uh, he's Passion good. of the Christ to yeah, follow. That's passion, like, yeah. Jim yeah. Caviezel, <laughs> as, uh, yeah. as Jesus. Interesting. Yeah. At at Catholic school. Now, did you go to, like Sunday school as well? There was like that was during the week, but then was there supplemental? No, no, I just went to Catholic school during the week. Because yeah. my experience is more Hebrew school, and that yeah. was oh, just what was that Saturday or Sunday or maybe yeah. one, one weeknight during the week, but it was in addition to just regular school and, you know, more of like kind of the social aspects of mm. it. And yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I, I kind of like, I learned like the mechanics of learning a language rather than learning the language itself too. Cause we're taught Hebrew, but just mm. kind of the way to approach learning, you know, word by word. But, you know, I, I guess I was a little young to be exposed to it. I, I wasn't, it wasn't until I went to like Israel then I started to think it out. myself about uh, about that connection to that. But yeah, um, so he mentioned the comic book too. I just want to throw back on you other forms of art maybe that um, that add to your pro- uh, process of, of of learning is comic books, films. Uh, do you have any connection to visual art uh, as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you mentioned film. You know. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, anytime I look at film, I, I try to look at the, okay, what are the archetypal motifs you know, being played out in, in, in the film? Uh, my wife and I just saw Encanto. Oh, nice. yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, I teach um, now history to eight graders um, um, on, on, on the spectrum. Oh, nice. You know, like I did mostly, a couple years of that as well, yeah. Yeah, um, uh, and, and and that's a big thing now. You know, every week one of them sees the film and they'll start singing the song and <laughs> yeah. they tell me the story. And you know, uh, you quickly learn as an educator. You got to become familiar <laughs> with, with what they're going through. You know, right, it helps right. you develop rapport. Blah blah blah. You know, yeah. maybe insight too. But anyway, um, so Friday night, um, we were scratching our heads because it was a beautiful night. I don't know, the last couple of days here in New York. Um, so we decided to eat dinner and stay at home. So uh, she said, um, "Didn't you say you want to see that movie Encanto?" And I said, uh, I think it's on pay-per-view, right? So let's check it out. So it's on pay-per-view. We saw it. Um, I, I didn't think it was that great. <laughs> but I, the music was awesome, right? Yeah, yeah, the the music was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I'm looking at the film and I'm trying to figure out the archetypal, you know, what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, intuitively, I just felt like there's something missing, you know? So I think I need to see it again, you know, um, to kind of draw out. So, um, yeah, I, I think film, it's, it's, it's you know, I, I think I... I for me, that's art, right? Yeah. I mean, one, one can argue that's differently. The, the myth, that's the hero's journey told over and over and over again. Yeah, the hero's so journey is so there. Yeah. Um, so what else? Um, when I was in Paris, um, I, I studied there for almost a year. And um, George Pompidou, you know, I I, I, I didn't know what he was in Paris. <laughs> I didn't know what the hell George Pompidou was, you yeah, know. Yeah. I just ran into it and I got a little, I was lonely. So I got I got high and got lost and ran into George Pompidou. And um. When I walked in there, the first piece of I saw was uh, you guys ever see um on uh, Joe Mito his work yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, I think it's called Blue you know it's three pieces which is fucking in, in energy, a book man. but not not and it live. blew me yeah. away mm-hmm. um and um 
it, it took a couple of years, but there's a connection there. You know, um, there's really no form there when, when you look at that stuff, but there's a lot of color, particularly blue. <laughs> um, and, you know, this little, my, my old dad, my, my, my dad used to say, because I, I had the centerpiece, I had the centerpiece in my living room, um, and he you know, takes me back, and um, he goes, what the, what's that about? I said, I don't know, Dad. <laughs> and I, I don't know what that's about. But I think um, he talks about um, this bridge. It, it gets back to the original idea you talk about in spirit. You know, uh, When I walked into George Pompidou and um, I encountered Blue, because it was just it was just enormous, blew me away. I, I never really experienced anything like that, um, at least in New York, um, and um, which Think, if you think about it, it's quite surprising. I should have encountered something like that in New York. I mean, if, now if you go to the Whitney, you know. But even then, I, I, I've never seen something that big. Um, yeah. And um, I was only like 20, 21. Um, and what's the point here? I, I felt overwhelmed. And I think when anytime you encounter archetypal elements, whenever you experience the archetypes, um, you will be overwhelmed. You know, and then there's a moral choice. You know, getting back to the bar, drinking, you know, drinking beer with you guys. You know, the archetypes are there. You're gonna be overwhelmed. You're gonna, you may be paralyzed. You know, um, so um, I think art, art allows you to, um, to um, ignite that those experiences somehow. Mm-hmm. And 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 if it doesn't do that, then I, I don't think it's serving its purpose. Art's got to get you passionate, inspired. Art needs to challenge. How you do stuff in life, it may paralyze you. It may freak you. It, it, you may even scapegoat. You might even say that sucks. That mm-hmm. needs to be burnt. If it, you know, if that happens, something's igniting. Yeah, yeah it's igniting. Mm. You, know, so, you know, something you don't know about yourself yeah. is being ignited. Um, you know, therefore you're projecting it onto that object. Um, like the idea of like surrendering to the art as well. I mean, yeah, surrender. I like you, that. If you try to to understand certain things it'll swallow you up right where you kind of have to just accept that all right like just what am i feeling in that moment i'm very influenced by the surrealists uh yeah myself and you know i mean the art it's drawn from somewhat their childhood but you can't help but all right how do you relate to the different objects that might be you know uh, up there dali in particular and you were Mm. what were you studying the symbology recently and um and how yeah like, not necessarily the symbol that the artist intended on it, but oh, yeah. your own, what was the... Yeah, we were discussing about how, um, like, in art, the person might create a from create a, a work from their own relative mythology, but then when viewed, you know, we see symbols in it. We tend to see, like, we tend the viewer will always see something related to symbology, even if it's, like, or some mythology, because, you know... Um, we can't access the full story behind the person's what the person is referencing. Right. So we can only see it through symbol. Yeah. So the author will like even though with my own writing, it's like I'm not necessarily thinking in terms of symbol, but I'm creating symbol because you know the, You're a poet, the author, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I write poetry and uh, you know three three collections uh, produced, um, and you know the, the when I read over it later, I realize oh you know it's kind of symbolic. I'm using symbol. Just because, because, because as a reader, you know, we, we tend to associate with symbols rather than as the personal story behind it. You know, it's a quick way to access those centers of energies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to remind listeners of the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. Listener supported radio. We're here with Ori Cabrales and uh, co-host uh, Scott Raven and 
on VGR Nathan. Um, yeah, we're talking a little bit about uh, in a few minutes. It's forty five now, so we have like fifteen minutes uh, left. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about um, you know, kind of. Uh, we were talking a little bit about you mentioned about how when the question the question was basically, what do you hope people will get out of your practice um, when you teach or when you share your principal disciplines? Uh, we teach history and teach um, about depth psychology. And it was interesting, you were talking about um, friendship and nourishment, um, psycho-spiritual. Let's talk a little bit about that. You talk a little bit about how, what you hope people get out of you, get out of your, um, out of your disciplines when you share, when you teach. Okay. <laughs> um, again, getting back to terms, I guess teach, right? Teach. Yeah. Um, my grandmother was a teacher. You know, my mom's mom. And, my, you know, my youngest sister. Oh. Yeah, she's my youngest sister. <laughs> I, got, yeah. I got two sisters. That's just yeah. a blank. It's just, she's a teacher yeah. as well. You know, so we got we, we got teachers in my... But I, I say it in the broadest sense, you know. It's, so, um, um, I mean, when you, when you think about teaching, the first thing that comes to mind for me, it's, it's, it's a relationship, right? Mm. You know, between people. Um, you know, parent to child, that's a teacher. Uh, adult to adult, that should be teachers there, you know. Uh, you know, Rogers talks about, um, you know, teachers need to be facilitators, mm. you know. So w- when I teach, you know, parentheses, you know, in this case, history, you know, um, recently, um, I actually started as a history teacher, then I was a counselor for a long time. Um, now I'm going back to teaching. Um, it's, it's, it's a wonderful Kind yeah, of in a circle. Um, I'm gonna be sixty. You know, and <laughs> yeah, it's 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 it's, it's a it's a weird trip, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, um, when you teach, I, I think um, um, you're trying to have some sort of give and take. This it's gotta be it's gotta be reciprocal. You know, uh, you gotta be open to something new. Um, but you're the facilitator. What are you facilitating? I really don't know yet. But I think what you're trying to facilitate is what you what we were talking about earlier is 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 them realizing their essence, you know. So uh, allowing people to express themselves, and I think that's beautiful when, when you see a student in September and they come January, and you kind of recognize there was some sort of development, and you know that you were part of that. Mm. You were a small part, you know. Some people place. Too much power in you, yeah. Uh, but um, I think teaching is facilitating. Facilitating what? Well, development, making it easier. Um, it's usually populated though with failure, <laughs> you know. But we tend to measure success. So, um, what's the question? Um, um, what happens? You know, when I teach, and what's my hope? Uh, mm-hmm. My hope is that they'll that I contribute to some sort of their development, uh, whatever that means. Not just cognitive, but maybe spiritual. Um, and then what comes with that, um, I think, is that they have also facilitated my development. Mm, right. So there's a reciprocal element. Oh, I totally agree with that. If that makes uh, sense. Anything yeah. that you can account that something you've learned from from your students or as of late, something that something can, I've learned. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, um, that I, I'm more like. I'm not sure if they're like me or I'm like them. Sure. Um, you know, we, we talk about uh, with this with the population I work with. Um, they have difficulties in managing their impulses, you know, um, uh, and, um, you know, we talk about them, 
phone, you know, Fridays when we get together and talk about them. <laughs> I feel like we're talking about us, you know? Uh-huh. Um, right. And um, I like when there's, a, there's certain teachers that um, they're just a little too technical, which I get. That's cool. Um, but, um, so, you know, other staff, other faculties, you know, they'll, they take ownership. You know, they'll say, like, there's a science, there's a particular science teacher. I won't use his name, but I think he's the best teacher in the building. And one of the things he said the other day was, um, let's say, uh, VJ, you know, he's talking, you know, you're them now. <laughs> well, VJ is a lot smarter than me. And, you know, it, it, he recognized that they're teachers, right. you know. Mm. So, um, I, I think when, when, when you, when you, I don't know, that needs to be part of one's approach. There's got to be reciprocity. Mm. So what I've, what have I learned? Uh, for my students, um, um, that I'm just as impulsive. I still have problems grappling with my own impulsiveness. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, I, I get angry when they do something that I expect them, when they don't do something that I expect them to do. I feel like telling them, you don't understand that. Mm. You know what I mean? I, so I'm impulsive too. So how do I, I need, I'm still learning how to be. So they have taught me that I still need to develop. Mm. I still need to mature. Um, but I think that's the lesson I learn every every week. Oh, yeah, all the time. Right. If, <laughs> you know, my humility, I'll, you know, uh, if, if I'm humble enough to recognize that. But sometimes I, I usually deny it. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the story of the uh, the woman, a mother who brought his brought her child to the guru and teacher, and she was like, "Tell him to stop eating candy." And the guru says, "Come back next week." <laughs> And then they come back next week and she's like, just, you know, it's not good for him to eat candy. Tell him to stop eating candy. He's like, come back next week. And then finally they do this over and over again until finally he tells him, don't eat candy. He says, why were you waiting so long? He's like, well, I had to stop eating candy myself. You know, there so you go. Tell him authentically. In order to do yeah. authentically. Yeah. I want to use that again. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, I like the story that you said of September to January too, where the different kind of relationship you have compared to counseling versus being a teacher in the classroom, where it's counseling, I imagine it's one hour sometimes uh, throughout the week. This, you're over an extended period of time, and you Mm. really have an impact on kind of shaping that development and their shaping years. Uh, I used to perform for a while, too, where it was just one hour, right? And, you know, you hope to create that spark of inspiration. Yeah. But it's so different from being in that classroom every single day, you know, from beginning to end and Getting to see, you know, there's different parts of the day where moods are at different levels. Oh, too, yeah, and, man. And where just that whole scope of the day. Yeah, man. And then you put that the whole scope of the year, too. Yeah, and, man. And, uh, it's interesting that you went. So from from kind of like, all right, those shorter bursts to and then longer, uh, you know, kind of back and back and forth over the course of a year. I don't know if you could speak to a little bit more on that, the difference between between those of the teaching over the course of a year versus maybe just a, a one-on-one session. Oh, there was a question there, man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was like, like a one-on-one session counseling between and then being in an entire class um, over the course of a year. Yeah, how does that change? How does your approach change? Or how do your, how, do you, how does experience for you um, change? Yeah. I hope I'm going to respond to the question some no, way. No, no. But, um, yeah, that's okay. I, I, I always um, felt more comfortable uh, when I was a counselor working in groups. Uh, right. Um, um, back in 1990, oh, that's when I first started as a counselor. Um, you know, my supervisor, you know, gave me these caseloads. You know, blah. It was, it was just, it's just crazy, man. It's you know, 300 students. What the fuck, man? 
Yeah. Not for hours in a week, man. <laughs> but um, I, I, I just went back to grad school and I'm thinking, well, group work, right? Group work. So I started doing group work and I realized the buildings, they weren't doing group work. Um, but the, you know, and then it was difficult to do it. It's a lot of logistics you gotta, you gotta grapple with too, a lot of bureaucracy. But I finally figured it out and I think the kids, um, you know, I had a rapport with them and the, 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 I was, well, how old was I? 1990. Uh, I was 28, something like that. Um, and I had a lot of energy, man. <laughs> I, I wonder where that energy went. But, um, um, I was able to um, develop a rapport with the kids. They, they, they recognized my sincerity. And I just found that in group work, that's where you get things done. In one on one, I think it's too synthetic. I'm, I don't want to, you know, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of hygienic stuff happening there. Um, but um, I think it's synthetic. I think the real shit is happening in groups because you see what's happening. Kids don't like each other, kids like each other. That's the world, right? You know? Um, and, um, I, I just feel like that's where the good stuff happens. And that's where you get to practice what you need to practice to become an adult. You know, because you're always becoming an adult. You know, I mean, I, I'm becoming an adult. You know, I, I got here on time, didn't I? Yeah. So, yeah, I was a good adult, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of sh- moving parts, but um, yeah. there was a question there, man, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was mainly the well, one-on-one I love that answer of, of group group work over versus one-on-one, the, the benefits of it, but also kind of just duration spent with them too. Duration, yeah. You know, like where, where it's maybe an hour, but I imagine with, within a school atmosphere, you're there every day, sometimes multiple periods of a day over the course of a whole year, as opposed to um, maybe once a week sometimes that you would see somebody. The school I'm at, I'm really lucky. Um, we have what's called seminar. You know, there's like six students in the class. Um, and then I get to see them one on one. So that's really you do. You know, it's really just it's a lot of support there. You know, and mm. they have the, we have the psychosocials and so forth. Um, but I like the idea about you, you, you use what was the term duration? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, it's not just me and the kids that I'm working with. Um, I, I'm having phone conversations with the parents these days. Zoom conversation with the parents. You know, I'm I'm speaking to the other teachers. You know, there's a community there. Um, you know, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that village entails. Um, so in terms of duration, you have that one-on-one, again, it's sterile. It's, re- it's really sanitized version of development. But in, in, in a community, it's there's a lot of, there's a lot of failures. Um, some parents you're going to get along with. Some parents don't like you. They're going to judge you. They're going to mm-hmm. call They're going to call your supervisor and say, you know, I don't like George. He right. doesn't know how to give homework. Anyway, I feel like we're almost done. Yeah, I got to do a yeah. couple clean eyes on the other paper too. I'm a good adult. Yeah. I'm examining. Okay. Um, just want to remind listeners, this is uh, Ready for Brooklyn. Uh, this is part Radio. Ready for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, provide media literacy, education, and free expression, and public art, of course. We rely primarily on donations of listeners like you. Every dollar helps to continue to stay on air and allows us to continue the work in the community. We have 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please, um, Consider giving a donate a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at reflect.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper, you can uh, donate in a way that costs you nothing. Go to reflect.org slash Amazon. Raise your rate for Brooklyn is your Amazon small charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your sales will go to benefit Radio for Brooklyn. And uh, make sure if you're in front of your computer, please free yourself up by downloading our apps for iPhone or Android. And uh, follow our newsletter at reflect.org slash newsletter. Thank you. Yeah. 
Nice. And there's a show coming up uh, tonight, actually. Uh, Radio Free Brooklyn proud to present Black Emoji and Control the Sound at, yep, the legendary Mercury Lounge. That's tonight, Sunday, February 13th. Uh, starting at 5 p.m. Uh, for those of you in the know, Mercury Lounge, 217 East Houston Street, New York City. Uh, tickets are looking at $12. You can get them at the door or at Ticketmaster. Uh, once again, that's Black Emoji and Control the Sound at the Mercury Lounge. Nice. Thank you, thank you. So you have a few more minutes left. Uh, if you want to go over some last... Uh uh, I know we we met through the meetup, uh, so you want to tell, talk a little bit about the meetup and how that kind of provides a forum for people interested in in following the readings or. Yeah, uh, meetup is pretty cool. I thought you know I I found out about meetup in what was it oh six something like that. You know mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, something called the New York Mythology Meetup, um, um, and um this guy Phil started and um, it's you know we connected and there was like what was it six or eight of us. And it was like a term endearment that evolved. You know, we, we, we kind of call ourselves the tribe. <laughs> mm. You know, um, it, you know, you, you just what's the expression? Um, same-minded individuals come together. You know, like-minded yeah. individuals coming together. And so we were just sharing our love w- with mythology, and that was quite successful. So my introduction, I guess, what I'm saying to meetup was positive. You know, uh, it just was a good thing. You know, I got lucky. I, I, you know, you hear different stories from different people. I was lucky. Um, met some good people. Uh, we 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 engage in what we enjoyed, and we did that like maybe once a month, something. I forgot the frequency, so it was pretty good, and and, and I was committed to it. And along the lines, um, it was Phil. He goes to me, um, George. One, there was a, this young meetup. This lady, she was the librarian from Hofstra University. She was she became a grandmother. She was giving it up, something like that. Um, Phil said, pick it up. I said no. <laughs> But others members said, you know, once you pick it up. So I picked it up. It was one of probably one of the best decisions I've made. So, um, um, and then along the lines, I got lucky. I met Lorna, the previous librarian at, 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 at the, you know, the Christian Man Library. Mm-hmm. She told me, George, you could meet up at the, you know, the library here. And I did. And it was just a wonderful experience. So it's, um, you know, you meet great people. You have an opportunity to engage in conversation that, um, Sometimes it's missing in one's life, mm. you know, and I, I think we need to, um, I think all of us um, need to nourish all aspects of who we are and whatever that entails. And uh, Meetup's been, uh, I've been fortunate with um, with it. Um, right now, we're reading a couple different books, um, The Idea of the Holy, mm. you know, by um, Rudolf Otto. Um, and we're now discussing Meet in the Shadow, um, you know, an anthology of essays edited by, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Connie Zewerg. And, and, and Abrams, you know, um, so, um, you know, we read books. Uh, uh, we're going to look at this interview with Rollo May, um, like an hour interview. And then, you know, we look, we, we, we we'll discuss it, you know. Oh, you know, he's Great. an interesting cat. Yeah, and that's open to the public or that's anyone. A, anyone via. can join. Just go to Meetup. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, in my Meetup, just plug in Carl Young um, mm-hmm. and you'll see. Just look at the organizer, Jorge, <laughs> you know, and then you'd make a decision. And I promise you, if you come, you're not only going to meet me, but you're going to meet some interesting folks. And what I like about Meetup now, it's like remote. Um, though I'm, I'm looking forward to you know, in person again. We meet people in California, 